So every team in the NBA is filled with players who will never be all-stars or brand ambassadors. They're never going to have their jerseys retired or sign a max contract or anything like that. They're just basketball players. And one of the NBA's big secrets is that even those guys, the working stiffs of the league, are making hundreds if not thousands of basketball calculations every single minute. Think about it. If you're a role player, let's say a big man, you're running back on defense and before you do almost anything else, you size up the floor. Maybe the break is moving a little too fast for you to track down your assigned man, or maybe it's not. But even that's a read that comes from assessing all of these variables, the positioning of a bunch of different players, whether you trust your teammates to handle those kinds of cross matches, what kind of help might be behind you, the particular threat of whoever has the ball, and that's before the possession even really starts. Once things slow down, a player's brain is just lighting up with all kinds of assessments and choices. How are we defending the pick and roll? Do I drop? Do I trap? Do I need to change our plan to fit this particular moment? Does the guy I'm defending like to roll? How does my pop? teammate defend the pick and roll? And how can I play Does this guy with the ball want to go left or right? Does he like to drive Wait, or shoot? is this pick and roll just the first part of a more elaborate I've seen this on film before. Can my teammate get through the screen? What or are do I need our principles switch? for switch situations? What, Have I been lane for three seconds already? Where's the rotation going to become? Is there a lob threat? What's happening on the backside? How much time is on the shot clock? Can this guy hit a step back three? Does he think I can block him? Do I need to watch Based out on my history with this matchup, do I think I can block this guy? And that's not even a full possession. Some of it's running on subconscious autopilot in a player's brain, and some requires a more active choice. But every time you see a player kind of working in the background of an NBA game, he's probably cycling through this constant stream of stuff. He's tweaking his position, his approach, he's feeling out other players' movements and intentions, he's sizing up where his opportunities might come from. There's a ton going on from microsecond to microsecond, and when everything goes perfectly, it looks like they're just playing. The best role players in basketball might not be scoring a ton or doing things that are going to jump out at you, but they're crunching thousands of these little scenarios over the course of a game at the speed of the greatest athletes on the planet. And well, they get an incredible number of those decisions right. Let's meet one of those players. Hey, this is Robin Lopez. I'm the starting center for the Chicago Bulls. And I'm Rob Mahoney from Sports Illustrated. You're listening to the very first episode of Breakaway. If you've watched the NBA over the last decade, you've probably seen Lopez lumbering about for the Suns or the Blazers or the Knicks. Right now he plays for the Bulls, thanks to a trade Chicago made to unload former MVP Derrick Rose back in June. The Bulls traded away this flashy volume scorer who had to control the ball. It was the only way that Rose could be anything close to effective. And what they got back was Lopez, who's just about the complete opposite in every respect. I, I, I think I'm a role player, obviously. I know I'm a role player. I know I'm supposed to go out there. I'm supposed to play, play some defense, be a rim protector, um, get some boards, offensive boards, um, set some good screens for guys who, who are going to go put the ball in the bucket. Those are good parameters for what a role-playing big man should be. Lopez is a giant whose game makes the most sense when he's doing giant things. But they're also exactly the kinds of contributions that are easy to take for granted, in part because of the way we count and measure the game. Almost everybody in the basketball world, players, coaches, general managers, fans, they're beholden to the box score whether they realize it or not. We talk about players based on how they tally up these very specific things. The league pays players based on those totals. And we're even trained to count up points and assists while we watch, 
which makes us watch for those things in the first place. The entire system is stacked to favor certain kinds of players. And so if you're trying to make the case to someone for why Lopez is important, well... Obviously, I mean, it's so cliche, but I would tell them, I'd give them a box score and say, I do a lot of things that don't show up in this. So let's talk about where Lopez does show up. Wherever he goes in the league, Lopez's team defends better with him on the court. It's not exactly scampering out to the perimeter to switch onto point guards or anything like that, but Lopez knows what he's doing. He plays into a system, he controls the paint, and he takes up a ton of space. A seven-footer with a wide base eats up all kinds of room just by being around. So Lopez makes sure that he's around as much as possible, especially when opponents are trying to get to the basket. Look, ideally you want players who can help you defend every area of the floor. But in reality, you take the guys who can help you control any of them. Lopez is one of those guys. He'll block some shots, he'll patrol the paint, and he'll root his entire game in providing help. I think that's the start of it, and everything kind of flows from there, even even offensively. Um, I, I think any basketball player will tell you you get stops, that, 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 that feeds in your offense, your offense feeds in your defense. It's kind of symbiotic in that, in that way. And with Lopez, that defensive buy-in isn't transactional. You don't need to throw him token post-ups to keep him interested. Some possessions will naturally come his way. And Lopez there for a putback. 22 and 14 now for Lopez as he approaches season highs in both of those numbers. Lopez. That right hand joke. I mean, he just, he just holds off the defender. It, it's such a funny shot, but he does it all the time, and it's so efficient. He's too off of his season. And others he'll make for himself through offensive rebounding. Rondo on the reverse. Lopez with go. a stick back. Very tell you now, they're number one in offensive rebounding, 13 and a half a game. Just uh, from a selfish point of view, I love crashing the offensive glass, getting a few opportunities there. Obviously, I love playing this game, so any chance I get to play, I'm, I'm trying to make a positive impact. The great thing about being a five is I don't have to worry about getting back on uh, getting back on defense and bouncing the floor too often, so I can, I can just crash to my heart's desire. <laughs> Doing the dirty work actually keeps him happy. It's like he's one of those fish in the tank that gets its kicks by cleaning up all the algae. Take an ordinary Bulls possession. For example, a totally nondescript play from Chicago's game against Portland on December 5th. There's 4.36 left in the first quarter, and the official play-by-play -play reads, Butler driving dunk. Grant off the heel of the rim, the ball tapped out, and could be saved by Evan Carr. Butler blows down uh, the boulevard. Looking like Moses. No, no, just split right on the red seat, just split right down the middle. Here's what really happened. Lopez and the Bulls are running into their offense. This is at a point in their season where they're really making an effort to get their possessions going as quickly as possible. Jerry and Grant is in control. He's running the right side of the floor, so Lopez gets in front of the play and kind of loops around to set a screen for Grant to go to his right. He does. Lopez stalls Grant's defender enough to buy him a step, sending one of the quickest bulls going downhill. So Lopez sets that screen, he holds it, and then he starts making his way inside. There's not an obvious lane for him to roll, so he just kind of goes one step at a time before it becomes clear that Grant is about to shoot. And... 
He's off. Lopez darts in from the right elbow to the left block, fighting his way through a double box out. Mason Plumley and Ed Davis are there, trying to muscle him out, but no, the ball drops around Lopez and he claws through to swat it out to the perimeter. A few Blazers start running back down court before they actually secure the ball, which clears the way for Jimmy Butler to just pick it up at a sprint, making a beeline for the basket. There is no help, and that's because Lopez is on the block with Ed Davis on his back, walling the only Blazer big in the picture completely out of the play. And that, without any official nod to Lopez, is how we get a Butler driving dunk. By a Butler blows down the boulevard. Looking like Moses. Forget the credit and forget the stats. Lopez is so far removed from the box score at this point that he's made every team he's played for better on the glass, regardless of how many rebounds he actually pulls down himself. Our concept of rebounding is generally pretty one-dimensional. It's a single player who either goes up and grabs the ball or fails to. But actually, a player like Lopez can have a huge influence by finding his man, striking a wide base, and making damn sure that his teammates can secure the rebound. I think just about every team I've been on has done a wonderful job of gang rebounding, team rebounding. Um, right now in Chicago, um, Rajan, he does a wonderful job of crashing defensive boards. So it's D Wade, Jimmy, and obviously Taj. I don't have to. I don't have to talk about him. But I, I think when you have all five crashing the glass, that I mean that that makes it easy for your big men. You know. By the nature of the thing, each of those Bulls players will read the floor a little bit differently. When you're Rajon Rondo, the court might lay out like a network of passing lanes. If you're Jimmy Butler, maybe you see the negative space between defenders as windows to drive, and you see overeager opponents as marks to draw a foul. Lopez has his own point of view. I mean, basketball is really a game of angles. If you want to defend like Lopez does, you have to understand those angles. A player with the ball is constantly adjusting course, looking for any little avenue to get from one spot to the next. If Lopez can read those intentions and preempt them, he can wall off a space on the floor that the offense might need. He can take away the lane just as a guard wants to make a drive with his dominant hand, or he can rotate just in time to blot out a cutter. And when you're seven feet tall, how you move around the floor is informed by the angles and the arc that smaller players would have to take to shoot over you or to get around you. And it's not just there. Every screen made during an NBA game succeeds or fails in large part based on its angle. You're trying to wall off a natural athlete whose agility got them into the league. That screen needs to be wide. It has to make real contact and it needs to be angled so that it buys your teammate real time. Playing with Steve Nash and now, now Rajon, he's really harping on it with the young guys, with everybody. Um, the angle of the screen, making sure you get you set it in a flat enough screen so that the guy can't just waltz underneath it. And once a shot goes up, Lopez has to contend with a different sort of geometry. Even some of the game's best rebounders don't quite notice how much predictive work they're actually doing. At this point, it's almost a, just a natural reaction, honestly. It's a shift here, a seal there, a little scrap, and boom, there's a rebound. Sometimes it's that easy, but watch enough high-level rebounding and you start to see patterns in where the rebounders themselves want to be even before the ball is in the air. The mere possibility of a shot has smart players working the baseline or sliding over a few feet to increase the odds of having the ball just land in their lap. It helps to be big and strong and athletic, but it also helps to make your own luck by reading the angles. 
I think a little bit um, basketball IQ, knowing where you need to be, where the ball's probably going to come off. You have an idea that if it's coming from the corner, that it's probably going to go long. You have an, an idea of certain spots from the floor where the ball's going to go. There really isn't much unskilled labor at this level of basketball. Even the guys you wouldn't normally think of as being highly skilled, their effectiveness is still determined by lightning quick reactions and subtle adaptive choreography. We talk about players working off instinct as if their brains weren't firing off to make that happen. Obviously there are players who can think through the game on another level beyond that, like a LeBron James working a few steps ahead and gently guiding a result into place. But by and large, Useful NBA players just need to be able to read situations as they come and process information without getting overwhelmed. That's what makes a star worth more than his stats, and it's what sets the value of an effective role player. The most powerful thing you can do on a basketball court is make your opponent think. When you can force them to think about what you're doing and what your teammates might be planning, you start to drown out all of their preparation all of their continuity. So the way to win, by extension, is to have players who are sharp and reactive and mentally nimble, even if physically they're moving at the speed of a hulking traditional center. All of which is to say that being a role player is complicated, and it really only works for players like Lopez because of this fundamental tension between who they are and what they're asked to do. More on that after the break. Check out Open Floor with Andrew Sharp and Ben Golliver. As recently as a month ago, really. Like, none of this seemed real. Uh, this entire wizard season is a bonus for me. And uh, I mean, it, so it was a loss. It was a loss. I mean, you're really giving your wizards a lot of moral victories here in Blue Ribbons. <laughs> I hate you, all right? Just let me have this. Let me have this. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to new episodes every Tuesday and Friday of Open Floor. What a role in a basketball team really is, is a sort of situational shorthand. Plays break all the time, and when they do, everyone on the floor should have a good idea of where to go and how to contribute. Because everybody has to have an idea of what's going to go on out there, so whatever that idea is, they can they can play off of that, they can react to that. Um, I, I, think, I think that helps mold um, a situation where I, I know I'm going to get these shots from here, I know I'm going to be involved in these kind of defensive um, defensive plays, these defensive breakdowns. And good teams need that preemption. If you want your defense to rotate on a string, everyone has to understand when it's their turn to pick up the slack. If you want your offense to run smoothly, everyone can't be running over to get the ball all at once. You need your shooters to be patient in the corner. You need your cutters to run through and draw attention. You need guys like Lopez to set a good screen and make the other team freak out a little bit as they scramble to make sure everyone's covered. You want all of that and you want it to feel natural. Teams get to that point by establishing roles and accepting them. Sometimes that's easy, and sometimes it takes a little more negotiation. With Lopez, it's all second nature. No matter where he goes, he sets screens, he goes to the offensive boards, he finishes around the paint. That's Terry Stotts, who coached Lopez for two years in Portland. Defensively, he protects the rim. Uh, he always has a tough defensive assignment, and the intangibles in the locker room, you know, he's... He's unselfish, he's selfless, uh, and he's all about the team. With good role guys, that always seems to be the takeaway. Coaches know which players are really invested in a team's success, and the stars on the floor are damn well aware of who's making their life easier. 
This is what LaMarcus Aldridge had to say about Lopez back in their Blazer days. No, I mean, he's a big part of this offense and this team and, you know, our identity. You know, he does uh, so many things that people don't notice. It takes a particular kind of person to feel comfortable with not really being noticed, especially when even reaching that kind of acceptance requires players to buy into something pretty contrary to what got them into the league in the first place. Think about it this way. There's a healthy population of NBA players that are just complete basketball junkies. They'll dial up games to watch on the road, they plan their schedules around which games are on when. The deepest addicts probably know the snazzy league pass guitar riffs by heart. But Lopez, even though he loves basketball... It's sometimes a little difficult for me to watch NBA games. Obviously it's a little different for me, um, being an NBA player. Being a competitive... NBA player. I think I think all NBA players are competitive, so that's a little redundant, but I, I think I'm I'm very competitive. But why would that get in the way of watching the highest quality basketball in the world? I think every NBA player has that mentality, you know, I'm better than that player, I'm better than that player. I, th I think that's natural, that's something that's necessary for you to make it to this level. That competitive feeling, it, it, you, you definitely enjoy watching games, but you, you can't help but think, but man, if I was out there, you know? If you have that kind of makeup, the kind that would make you one of the top high school recruits in the country and one of the best players in college and a compelling NBA prospect, then just seeing other players and teams can be competitively frustrating. Busting through the crazy improbability to even get drafted demands that players consider themselves to be pretty much the best at what they do. It's why we all kind of shrug whenever a really good player says that they should be MVP this season, or why no one really bats an eye when some average NBA guard declares himself to be one of the best at his position. A certain amount of megalomania is part of the job. But those same people, they have to grapple with the fact that their best role might be as a guy who rarely touches the ball. They might go from running the show on every team they've ever played on to getting yelled at when they take more than a few dribbles. And beyond that, whatever it is your coach does want you to do, you have to do it confidently. You have to be so sure of yourself that you never hesitate and so compliant that you never overstep even when you know you could. That's a hell of a tightrope to walk and every role player has to figure out for himself how to keep balanced. Yeah, I think the guys who have found their way in this league, they, they know their limits, they know their restrictions, they know what they can and can't do on the floor. For Lopez, that balance was a lifetime in the making. It all started in the same place that basically all of these stories start. He was a kid, there was a driveway and a hoop, voila, basketball beginnings. But even the guys who grew up to screen and rebound in the NBA they start off counting down the clock in their head and trying to hit fadeaway jumpers over imaginary defenders. Back then, I, you know, obviously I was pretty dumb as a basketball player, but like you said, I loved the game and, you know, the sky was the limit. Um, I think everybody dreams of being kind of like that Michael Jordan kind of player out there. And that really is the great constant of basketball origin stories. You can sub out Jordan for Kobe or Steph or whoever as the generations turn over, but Kids don't grow up wanting to be Bill Cartwright. They won't really grow up wanting to be Robin Lopez. They just play and they play, and if they play long enough, they learn that basketball can be kind of inviting to players who are willing to accept particular kinds of roles. It took Lopez a little while to figure out that calling, but he was nudged in that direction as much as anything by who he grew up with. Hard to the hole, Brooke Lopez for two. Brooke Lopez with a purpose. Lopez, he's got it. It's a three for Brooke Lopez. Lopez working the baseline. 19. Oh, 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 oh. Brooke Lopez on a rack attack. 
If you're familiar with Robin Lopez, you probably already know his twin brother, Brooke, who plays center for the Brooklyn Nets. The two played together at Stanford and both came into the league as part of the 2008 draft. They grew up in that driveway, playing with their older brothers, battling against each other, and generally getting pretty pissed off. Anything nearby was likely to get kicked or smashed or pelted with a ball. It was, it was terrible on the landscape, uh, on the landscape and the gardening and everything. There's still a shattered lamp outside the house that went down as collateral damage. And there are still little marks in Robin's game made by those family affairs. A little bit, yeah. You know, that goofy-looking hook shot comes from trying to get get uh, shots over Brooke and my older brothers um, so long, so far back. Their games, in that brotherly way, kind of fit together. Robin became this rugged, defense-first player who makes his living because of everything he does without the ball. And Brooke, who's really a similar player physically, grew into a 20-point scorer who posts up and shoots from the perimeter. The biggest critiques of Brooks' game basically line up with the exact things that Robin would have always done well as his teammate. And Robin, in that same way, has pretty obviously been shaped by growing up with a brother who could score, so he never really had to that much. Robin said it was in high school that he really started to figure out what he was meant to be as a player. He was on a team with Brooke, obviously, but also Quincy Pondexter, who is now a member of the New Orleans Pelicans, and two other teammates who went on to play college ball. I knew that the, there was only so much basketball to go around, um, and for us to be successful, there had to be players on the team that sacrificed a little bit and um, embraced whatever role they had. And at the same time, Robin had obviously moved on from seeing himself as a Jordan in the making. That fell away pretty early, actually. First, looking up to Patrick Ewing, then came Marcus Camby. He was a huge deterrent, rim protector. And the big one, Tim Duncan. Duncan is like the patron saint of big man role players. I mean, this is a dude who rose to national prominence on a bank shot. He was a superstar, don't get me wrong. Teams raced to the bottom of the standings for a chance to draft him, but he also took to doing all of the little things with a sort of role player gusto. He boxed out like a champ. He might be the best team defender ever. And Duncan was so obviously inarguably great without doing much of anything flashy and without ever drawing much attention to himself. It's not hard to see why that player could be an idol for bigs who grew up rebounding and defending, even as guys like Brooke looked up to Duncan for entirely different reasons. No one is going to mistake either Lopez for Duncan, but the lessons of his game are there in the way that they play. For Robin, those can be as technical as playing to alter shots without jumping or as broad as the selflessness of complete basketball. Everything kind of goes back to Duncan. Maybe it was just a little bit easier to commit to an unglamorous life of hard physical play when one of the best in the game made it such a priority. And from that, Lopez found a role that would make him an NBA player and a roadmap to becoming an even better one. More on that to come. Check out the MMQB's 10 Things podcast. I mean, you are protecting a 25-point lead in the second half. Should they have just sat back and, and gone to that sort of cover three base zone for essentially the entire second half of the game? It's easy to scowl at that now, Gary. It's like, oh, well, it was the wrong thing. But look, imagine if they were up 28-3 to and they blew the lead playing soft zone coverage after yeah. working them over in man-to-man. I mean, then we'd really be screaming for Dan Quinn's head on a stick. 
Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes of the 10 Things Podcast wherever you download your shows. When you're a star in the NBA, you have the benefit of self-determination. If you decide you want to work on your pull-up game, there's space for that. If you want to dedicate your time to creating contact and drawing fouls, you can apply that pretty easily too. Maybe you really want to focus on playmaking this season. It's really no problem. You already have the ball. It's a little different for role players and a lot more specific. But honestly, it's getting harder and harder to make it into the league as a specialist. The NBA is more skill-driven than ever, and in most cases, it's not enough to do any one thing. It may get you drafted, but it probably won't get you minutes. Shooters need to be able to attack a closeout and hold up on defense. Bigs need to be responsible passers and maybe even moonlight as perimeter defenders. There's always something to build, and having a role tells you what. It gives you an idea of what you need to get better at, what you need to work on when you know what those roles are. In Lopez's case, there's really nothing in his game more important than feel. That's a little tough to drill, so he does all the usual stuff. He works on his set shot, his hooks, his seals, typical big man fare. But over the summer, he plays. A lot. According to the Lopez School, if you really want to get better, then... The best way you can do that is to go out there and play the game, play in, play in real, real game-like situations. Having that, that natural reinforcement from, have, from success or failure in a game, there, there's nothing better than that. <laughs> there are degrees to this. When your job hinges on your ability to hit threes, then just getting in a gym and getting shots up might be one of the most constructive things you can do. But for a role player of Lopez's type, it matters a lot more that he can find ways to fit himself into the game. Some of that he'll know just from playing with the Bulls. But if you want to kick around a couple of new tricks, the low stakes of summer pickup are the place to do it. Anything that Lopez does is only as practical as it would be in a fluid, game-like situation. If there's not room for it in the rhythm of a game, there's just not much use. I really think that when I when I just play in the offseason, it puts me in a lot of different situations that I wouldn't normally find myself in. I think it gives me a good barometer of where I am in said situations, um, what what I can get better at, what maybe is a strength of mine that I haven't you know really noticed. Sometimes play is just play. Not every game has to be a quest for self-actualization. But if you're thoughtful about what you're doing on the floor, just playing can go a long way. Role guys are generally ahead of the curve there because you don't become Robin Lopez by accident. It takes diligence, it takes practice, it takes height. But you don't really get anywhere without self-awareness. Big guys who don't understand their lane end up playing in the Philippines. Those that do and can back it up by reading the game at a high level, they force teams to make room for them. Lopez doesn't score a ton, he doesn't stretch the floor, and it's not as if he's working as a playmaker. But by cutting through the noise and really getting to the heart of what he can do well, Lopez has made himself important to every NBA team he's ever played for. I think everybody in the NBA, they have dreams, they have aspirations, but um, I, I think I've been very successful in the little niche I've carved out for myself. Thanks for listening to our first episode. 
Breakaway will continue in two weeks with another exploration of the NBA world. Subscribing through iTunes or your favorite podcast app is the easiest way to keep up, but every episode will also be made available on SI.com. In the meantime, please help us spread the word to anyone you think might enjoy this podcast and consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Every single one really helps. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to breakawaypod at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at Rob Mahoney. Breakaway is produced by Alex Abnos and Rob Mahoney with special thanks to Ben Eagle and Matt Dollinger. Until next time.